You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Today we are talking kinks and fetishes, and this is going to be a good one. We've talked about kinks and fetishes before, and just as a brief, brief recap, kink generally refers to anything unconventional, which of course, you know, what's unconventional for me may not be unconventional to you. It might be your regular Monday afternoon routine. And fetishism, different than kink, generally refers to an actual need for a specific act or object to be present in order to experience arousal and satisfaction. So again, kink is more of a preference and then fetishism tends to be more of a strong, strong preference or need. And here to help us break it down, we have sexologist and psychotherapist Carly DeVille, host of the Naughtylicious sex podcast and author of a book by the same name, Naughtylicious. And first and foremost, tell us all about your brand new book. Oh, hello. So good to be back. So my book, it's actually kind of like a a hybrid. (laughs) It's a book. But more importantly, it's a game. So what I kind of did was, you know, I work a lot with couples and whenever with couples and people that are like looking to date and looking to like explore their sexuality with people. And a lot of the times um, I'm always constantly recommending like conversation starter games for them and for people in long-term relationships. You know, I've had a lot of people that are like, our conversations have dried out. Like, we don't even know what to talk about. It's awkward when we go to dinner. It's awkward when we go for walks. So I'm always like, you know what? Use a conversation game. They're super easy. Just get some cards and you don't even have to worry about what questions to ask. And I also use those because, you know, they have some to deepen connections. They have some that are a little bit more about sex and like kinks and fetishes to like get people to to know about uh, that stuff. So I wanted to create one that kind of blended the like yes, no, maybe list that help people find out like about their particular interests, the conversation, the starter games, both sexual and the intimate. So this is a sex conversation game for daring couples only. (laughs) If you're not daring, don't even bother. (laughs) So it's not a 101. No, no, no. You can basically like it's over 200 questions ranging from everything like uh, would you rather to some questions designed to build intimacy and to get to know each other. So I know we were going to be talking about like desired discrepancies, right? So there's a lot of questions in there that are built for that so something along the lines of like what would help put you in the mood if you're not in the mood you know and then it has some questions about sex acts pretty much like any situation that you can think of how would you feel about going to a strip club together you know like how would you feel about anal sex if you're not into it what would maybe help you open up to the idea you know Excellent. Excellent. We need yeah. we need those. I you know, I see couples at dinner all the time sitting in silence, feeling awkward and without judgment. I think I can see that they're judging themselves. They're like, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with our relationship? Where do we go wrong? When in fact, you know, familiarity is just mm-hmm. it settles in over time and mm-hmm. it's easy to run out of things to say. And it doesn't mean that the relationship is on its last legs. It just means you need to do something to restart those conversations. So the book is yeah. called Naughtylicious. We're going to link it in the show notes. And I think people are going to get more of a flavor for the work you do and your approach yeah. <laughs> as we as we dive in to kinks and fetishes. So you work with all sorts of kinks and fetishes, mm-hmm. right? I saw one that had to do with, is it attraction to priests lately you had posted about? Oh, hierophilia. Yes, hierophilia. So hierophilia is basically, you know, like a strong sexual attraction to anything related to religion. And while I was like doing research for that, there was just so many fascinating things 
that link religion to kinks and fetishes that I had no idea. I didn't even know that the word fetish came from religion, you know? So back then, any sort of like religious objects were called fetishes. They were supposed to have like magical powers. Um, and then at some point, I forgot who it was, but there was like some sexologists that when they were trying to come up with a word for it, for like um, for fet- what we know as fetishes now, they took that word because they felt that something that's not supposed to give you sexual pleasure, right? Like a foot, it suddenly has like this magical power to arouse people who wouldn't be aroused by anything else. I always thought that was very interesting. That totally makes sense. And when we think about religion and sex, we think of them as, you know, oftentimes, especially in like Western religion, being at odds with one another. But what fuels that attraction to religious objects or religious figures? Like, does it have to do with subversion of roles or shame? I think it depends, right? Because some people are actually very religious that are into it and some people are not and they just like maybe like the aesthetic or just the taboo nature the blasphemy at all (laughs) the blasphemy of it all you know so they're attracted to that but then people that are religious it's just like any other situation where you associate the excitement that you get from the congregation you know like just think about it sometimes they're so animated they're so exciting and they're so like lively and that excitement sometimes can get confused with arousal right <laughs> they just the next thing you know you're having sex dressed as a nun <laughs> <laughs> I mean that arousal from any area of our lives it's so easy to connect that with sexual arousal erotic arousal because the yeah. the bodily response is the same the chemistry mm-hmm. is the same now do you allow your mind to go there to support the subjective side of the arousal is the question. And I'm so I'm sure so many people stop themselves because because of the shame, because of the cultural messaging around this shouldn't be exciting for me. Right. We've seen this uh, with, with yeah. so many different, you know, even with, you know, conversations around orgasmic childbirth where people will accidentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah accidentally have an orgasm and then they feel so much shame around it and they haven't talked about it. I mean, that's that's a whole other topic, but I want to go to the basics with you. Where do you begin if you have a kink or a fetish and however you define it? Because again, I can say a fetish is an actual need, but not everybody defines it that way. Like some people will say, I have a foot fetish. I have a pantyhose fetish. It doesn't mean that I have to have, you know, play with objectification of feet, but I love it. So whether you have a kink or a fetish, where do you even begin when telling a partner? Because I know so many people who are living in silence, living in shame, holding back a part of themselves that is so integral, not only to their sexual expression and pleasure, but to who they are. So how do we begin that conversation with a partner new or old? I think, uh, you know, definitely with new is easier in, in a way, but I'm always telling everyone, you need to have these conversations as early as possible. You know, maybe not on the first day. <laughs> That's where you should kind of be getting to know each other. But maybe on like on the second and third day, you can start opening up by being saying something along the lines of, you know, a strong, intimate relationship where we're able to share our fantasies and our desires is something that's really important to me and kind of get that conversation going, see what they say, and then branch off from there, you know, to where you start talking about the things that interest you, you know, and try and do it in a way that's fun. Conversations about sex should stay fun. And, you know, like with long-term relationships and there's like some sort of problems arise in the bedroom, the conversations start getting so negative Mm -hmm. to the point where not only do people not want to have sex, but they don't even want to talk about a way to fix it. So starting off like as soon as possible in a fun way, like, hey, did you know when I was little, I was like really turned on by my priest and I always (laughs) wish I could seduce him. (laughs) True story, true story. Oh, (laughs) 
I mean, that is that is such so key. And I do think it's something that is left out of the equation. And I think I'm probably guilty of this because my brain works when I'm making, you know, conversation starters and language to support couples. I have to admit, I don't think I put as much fun into it as I could. Right. And the conversation Mm -hmm. itself should be fun. Why is that so important? How do we keep the conversations fun? How do we make them not feel so burdensome and heavy? You know, when I started off working in this field, I noticed that people seemed to enjoy the approach that I had. And my icon growing up was like Elvira, Miss the Dark, which if you don't know who she is, she's like very campy, uses like a lot of innuendos. So I always had a kind of like a tongue in cheek sort of way of approaching sexuality. And I noticed that that helped a lot in my sessions. It helped people open up. You know, if I made some silly little joke about sex or small penis humiliation, um, they would kind of crack up about it and it would break the tension and it would help people open up. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote this book and made it like, so there's, aside from those questions, I have a lot of kinks and fetishes in there. And they tell you about like why people are into it, what what activities you can do, but it's all done in a fun and flirty manner to where you're reading it. I think I have a question on like um, explaining how a lot of people are aware of uh, using penis pumps, you know, not just for fun, but for erectile dysfunction. And did you know that some people use pumps for like the vulva, the anus, the nipples, like how would you feel about pumping up the pleasure? You know, so by the end of it, it's almost like fun and flirting. You're like, wait, what? People do that? Pumping up the pleasure? So you kind of laugh and it's not as threatening to open up. And that's why I always recommend conversation starters, books and games to begin with, just because it helps. People are so worried of saying what they're into that if you open it up and it's like sissification, you know, I'm not the one asking it. It says right here, are you into sissification? And you can find out how your partner feels about it and then decide how much you want to share and how much you want to open up. Well, I like the idea of a book that's looking at both like the, you know, intimacy side and the more practical side, but also getting a little bit kinkier because you're right. It's sort of an excuse. (laughs) Yeah, it's an excuse to have the conversation. So it's not I'm just, you know, sitting at the dinner table saying, oh, this broccoli is so well done. And also, (laughs) I really, really like this particular thing. I'm really into horses or I'm very turned on by dolphins or dentistry or whatever the case may be. I'm on the D's (laughs) right now. But if, if there is already a conversation where we're creating a safe space where it's like, you know, what puts you in the mood for sex? What did you learn about sex growing up? And you don't have to do it all at once, right? It's not like they have to get your book, sit down and knock it out of the park. It could be one question a week. It could be one Mm -hmm. page a week, depending on how people want want to invest. So I think those are a couple of really important pieces there. The other thing I, I suggest to people, and maybe I'll go to you first, when they've been together a while, I think it's oftentimes harder to open up to someone where the stakes are so much higher. Like if it's a brand new relationship, of course, there's the chance that it won't be a fit or you're afraid they're going to leave you. But when you've been with someone two years, five years, 20 years, how do you suggest they open up those conversations? Yes, like your book and conversation starters. Mm -hmm. What else tends to work? I think other things that tend to work are whenever people are just casually when something happens in the surrounding like environment, usually if it's something like, let's say someone's walking by in these neon fishnets, right? You're just like at the mall with your boo, <laughs> having your little margarita and suddenly like this 
hot girl walks by with her little like neon fishnet and someone who's in who has like a pantyhose fetish right like they might look at it and they're like oh my god that is so hot I'm about to cream myself right now you know <laughs> but they don't want to share it with their partner so just kind of taking those baby steps of being like oh wow look at those fishnets those are interesting you know and seeing how your partner feels about that and just opening that conversation to where you start talking about the things that interest you because people pick up on things that people find exciting right if you're excited about something the other person's going to be intrigued or excited too so then they're gonna be like oh those pantyhose like yeah those are kind of hot maybe you should buy some maybe we should go buy you some right and kind of start the conversation in that way or if you're watching something in a movie or a tv show you know just thinking like wow you know what that looks a little interesting have you ever thought about doing something like that or you know we've been together for so long and we've never even thought about doing anything like that what do you say about trying that you know I love that. That's really my favorite one is the turning to pop culture because there's so much more diversity in pop culture, whether it's in music lyrics or whether it's in the streaming services and shows that have nothing to do about sex touch on sex in so many ways. I'm just rewatching Succession. (laughs) And there's there are all these pieces to pull out of there, like how not to spring an open relationship on your partner on your wedding night, how not to talk dirty and tell them you you don't actually love them when you actually mean it and it's not actually kinky play. And I think those are opportunities to have have those types of conversations about the characters. And I call it that third-party bridge, wherein we're actually talking about Shiv and Tom, the characters from Succession. We're not talking about Jess and Brandon. We're talking about Shiv and Tom. And in sharing how I feel about Shiv's language or Tom's reaction or Tom's super annoying voice, uh, Brandon can get an idea. (laughs) Brandon, no spoilers here. I was about to say something. Brandon can get an idea of how I feel about different scenarios, different roles, different approaches, different kinks and fetishes as well. So I love that. And then the teachable moment thing is huge. We do that with kids all the time. Like when an opportunity like neon pantyhose presents itself Mm -hmm. or in a city like Toronto where you might see somebody walking down the street with a partner who is collared at times. I'm not saying it's all the time, Mm -hmm. but these things do come up probably more up here than in Texas. I don't know. <laughs> but you're in Austin. Well, I'm in Austin so you're in Austin. Different, yeah. It's like a little hole. <laughs> it's a, a direct hole to Canada or something. But to, to <laughs> without judgment, just ask somebody, ask a partner how they feel and to have those conversations with other people as well. Like even not with sexual partners, I think normalizing the conversation is so important. So I think you've given some yeah. really specific actions people can take to start the conversation. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what holds us back and what are the costs of not telling them? Because I think we don't speak up about a long-held desire, fetish, or kink because we have a fear of judgment. We have a fear of loss. We have a fear of, you know, not being loved. But what is the flip side of that? How does it affect relationships when you hold that in? Ironically, it's uh, judgment and loss, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're holding something back and it finally comes to the light, the person just feels so betrayed that you were keeping something from them or feeling like, why, why can't you trust me? So it's not necessarily like judging what they're into, because at that point, a person sometimes might be really hurt. Like, I can't believe this is something that you've been into. This is something that you've been needing for so long and you have not not told me and our relationship has suffered because of that you know that can be really traumatic for for a person and it's I mean I don't want to sound like an alarmist but like you open up the doors for your partner and even yourself to be unfaithful and jeopardize the relationship 
you know, I talk with like a lot of sex workers and uh, dominatrixes, and they're always telling me like most of my clients wish that they could be doing this with their partner. You know, they would love to be able to have this need met with their partner and feel that like safety of being vulnerable with the things that turn you on, the things that, you know, make you come like crazy. So being able to share that with your partner is so different than someone who's professional. And they always tell me like, like they love it, they enjoy it, but they kind of wish that their partner can engage with them on that. So, you know, open up, be vulnerable. You have nothing to lose, you know, like you're already, especially if it's something that you're really into, you're already suffering, you know what I mean? So you're already suffering chances, the relationship is suffering already too. So you can just open it up and the worst they can say is no. You know, that's always that can happen. And you at that point, though, you don't feel like you're keeping something. And if your interest ever came to the surface, that it wouldn't be anything that's like, what? You didn't tell me that you were into clowns. Like, how dare you? <laughs> right, right. And that, that avoidance that comes from anxiety, as you said, produces the feelings and the experience that we're exactly trying to avoid, right? So right, we, right. we don't want to feel the shame, so we hold it in and it further intensifies the shame. We don't exactly. want to deal with rejection, but in not sharing such an important part of ourselves or vulnerable part of ourselves, we're rejecting ourselves. And rejection and judgment mm-hmm. from self can be so much more intense than rejection and judgment from someone else. So you mentioned, you know, sometimes people will go to outside sources and they wish they could be exploring fetishes or kinks with their partner. But the reality is that not... Not everybody is compatible, right? There, you, right. you know, they could say no, but they could also judge you, right? The judgment is what really, really stings. Yeah. So, how do we bridge that gap? If you're into something and they're not, how do we make sure that a that's okay? <laughs> like you don't have right, to like right, all the right. same things. And how do you actually bridge that gap from a practical sense in a relationship? You know, and and that's why, like, I cannot stress enough. It's so important to rip that Band-Aid off as soon as you can, because it does get harder and harder and harder to share what you're into as time goes, goes by. So one, just understanding yourself, right? Like trying to remove any sort of shame that you're feeling towards what you're into, really just take like a hard look at yourself and be like, why am I ashamed about this? Like, I'm interested in something that might be a little unusual, but I'm not hurting anyone. You know, <laughs> like I'm not doing anything bad. It's just something that maybe is like a little, a little kinky, but I really enjoy. Once you work through whatever is holding you back from like really expressing yourself and what you're what you're into to your partners, then you're going to have such an easier time having that conversation with your partner. Because if you're not, if you haven't worked through your own shame and you go to your partner to tell them about it, that whole, that shame is going to be there, right? And it's almost like people can sense it. People can sense um, energy. And if you're going like, oh my God, like I feel this, I feel that, that partner is going to feel that shame, right? So they might just focus on and be like, you're right, you should be ashamed. (laughs) But like, you know, this is what I meant to, I haven't told you, like, be very, like, matter of fact, remove the emotions from what you're experiencing, because emotions make you start thinking things in a completely different way that's not logical and it's not rational. If you've ever been around anyone emotional, you know they don't mean, right? So remove that emotion from your message. Be very matter of fact, hey, you know, I'm into chastity play. There's just something about locking up my Venus in chastity and giving the key to someone and having them control whenever I orgasm is incredibly exciting for me. And I would love to be able to share that with you. 
but if that's not something that you're into, I understand. I just thought that you should know something about, like that about me, you know? So it's not as threatening if you're just like so still in that shame bubble where you're like, oh, well, I really like this. And they're like, you like what? Like, it's so easy for them to take over the conversation when you're the one that should be the star of this conversation. Right. And and you can like what you like without your partner being into it. We have this, I think, part of, you know, the myth of perfect monogamy, or even some people would use the language of toxic monogamy, suggests that if we are going to be a fit together, everything I'm into, Brandon should fit perfectly into that puzzle piece, right? So if he's really into chastity, play and he wants me to lock up his penis and hold the key, I must derive the same amount of pleasure from playing the opposite role. And that's just simply not realistic. However, I can be into his pleasure. I can be into the power. So I think that if we can extract what it is we want to feel and see how that might balance or complement with our with what our partners want to feel, we can play with it. So if he wants his penis locked up in the cage and I hold the key and that's not something that I love, well, what about that might I be into, right? Like maybe I don't really care if his penis is locked up or not. I don't really care about the cage. I don't really care about the key, but I'll tell you what I do like. I do like power. I Mm -hmm. do like control. And so I've played with that in other areas with him. I've never locked up his penis. So if I were to do that, I might enjoy the power side, right? Or maybe again, I don't really like the locking up, but I I like the the making him wait and making myself wait. Like maybe I like begging for it too. Like maybe it, it isn't isn't about power. Maybe it's about Dr. Jazz. Yeah, it, right. Like I can extract those pieces. Um, I'm going to ask you in a moment about a pantyhose fetish. Same thing. If Brandon was really into pantyhose, and, and honestly, I never wear pantyhose. Like I'm I'm a real comfort person. Um, yeah. Always in like a, a comfy, comfy dress and probably not so comfortable shoes, but they're comfortable to me. <laughs> Within reason. So I don't wear them. But if I know he likes them, I could probably find something I like about them. Like I might like to be gagged with them or I like might like to be blindfolded with them or Ooh, I might I like <laughs> I might like the disgust factor of like giving him them after I've worn them for the day right mm-hmm. like there's something I can pull out of that and I do think it's because I mean I, I'm not saying I'm perfect but I don't feel like I feel a lot of judgment around sex like if you're into some I mean it's sort of my job but also it's why I got into this field in the first place right right like do what you do <laughs> how can I support you right and, yeah, yeah. and so of course I want to feel that for my partner and I think it's also okay if my first response to him isn't like, oh, yeah, let's do that together. I might say like, well, I'm not into that. That makes me uncomfortable. But I'm glad you told me. Let's see where we can go with this. Like the first response Mm -hmm. may not be where we get to in a week, in a month, in a year. Right. And what I also tell people, like when you're having those conversations and if you get like a, you know, that kind of makes me uncomfortable, you can follow up with, is there anything that would help make you feel a little bit more comfortable? Or is there anything that might, a baby step that you might be able to take to meet me, if not halfway, just like a little, just a tip in, you know what I mean? Well, you mentioned that sometimes people will go to professionals to have their needs explored or fulfilled. And again, that doesn't mean that I have to do everything Brandon wants or he's going to, you know, go someplace else. And and again, I'm talking, I guess, in the context of a somewhat monogamous relationship. But I do think the more open I am to it, the more I'm willing to do to at least A, not judge, and then maybe move into like 1%, 2%, 5%. I don't even have to get to 50. The more likely he's going to feel respected, the more likely his shame is going to help dissipate. I can support in that. And the more we're probably going to explore and learn more about one another, right? Like there's all exactly. there are all these exciting things we might discover. Maybe he discovers, actually, I did want my cock in a cage, but actually now what I've discovered is I really like just the fact that you hold the key 
to my mm-hmm. pleasure, right? And maybe it's not even about the cage. Maybe we don't need to invest in the cage. Right. And listen, we got <laughs> we, mental chastity. <laughs> listen, I will be into the chastity cages when they create an app for it because I do not have a keychain. Oh, that's I open yeah. I open all my doors with my app. So when that that comes in, I'm in. That's the funny thing I was thinking when you were talking about this, you know, locking up my penis i'm like she's totally gonna lose the key or something's (laughs) gonna happen and that's how we're gonna finish that off (laughs) so i really think there's some good take-home advice here um i have a couple of quick questions if you have a minute or two from all the time for you from (laughs) so you you brought up pantyhose fetish so this person has written in and said i have a fetish for sheer pantyhose and older women because my stepmom used to wear nothing but pantyhose when she was around me no panties no bra nothing so i got a full view almost every day Of course, it turned me on. We never did anything sexual, though. Now I have dreams about her and can't get those thoughts out of my head. I think about sex in pantyhose with her constantly. Not sure what to do. I'm 28 now. I moved out when I was 20. Oh, that's my heart goes out to them because I've worked with a lot of clients that pick up an association between something that they're interested in and then something that they like don't want to be interested in. Right. And that that association that you have is so strong that you're fear almost becomes a reality, right? Like you're so scared that that you're into like that you're getting off to some like nylon penny porn. And then all of a sudden you start thinking of your grandma, right? Or whoever it was. And you're like, oh shit, like this is horrific. Like I should, why am I like this? But it's like the more that you're trying to fight that off, the stronger that thought is going to be. It's just the way that it is, right? If someone's telling you, like, don't push that button, you're just thinking, like, wow, what's going on with that button? You know, like, <laughs> does it have a pantyhose fetish? <laughs> yeah. I want to press it. So uh, the one thing that I want them to know is that it's really all, it really is all in your head. You're the one creating this. So you need to learn to identify as soon as that image or as soon as that thought starts coming into your head, just do something to shift your focus to something else. You know, it might need to be a different type of um, of kink or a different type of stimulation, a different toy or a different porn or something. You just want like a shift and then you can go back. Once you've forgotten about granny and the, and the nylons, you know, you can go back to enjoying the things that you do. And then over time, like that, that moment of time is going to get shorter and shorter of where you have to go to something else, right? Because at that point, you're, you're not worried of like, oh my God, I'm going to start thinking of my grandma because you take some control by saying, if this happens, I will do this. And really anxiety is the, lo- the fear of the unknown, the loss of control. So anything that you can do to feel a little bit more in control is going to help you over time. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. But the more that you do that, the easier it'll get. Then pretty soon you'll just be like, you'll think back to be like, oh my God, I'm so, I can't believe I used to be so worried about that. Like, that's not a thing that I'm really into. I'm into the pantyhose. It just so happened to the pantyhose being attached to someone and that fear, you know, gets linked. It's very similar to what you were talking about, like the orgasmic childbirth, right? Like sometimes people have like an orgasm during childbirth and they'll start thinking like, oh my God 
what's wrong with me? Is this something? And it's like, no, it just so happened that you had a physical reaction at the same time as like a mental, emotional, sexual, sensual reactions and it all just came together and formed that association. But the way that it was formed, you can also unform it. So just focus on doing the, the refocusing technique anytime that you have that thought. And then when once you're already feeling better and you're not, it's no longer on your brain, then you can go back to it. And over time, you'll be able to enjoy the, your panty fetish without like having to worry about that. So you let me know when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can train, if your if your body and mind can become trained to create an erotic association, it can be also trained to create new erotic associations and also mm-hmm. to you know chip away at that association. Now it sounds like you're also saying go and explore the pantyhose fetish, and it doesn't have to be about your stepmom, right? You can exactly. explore that the object itself as a fetish in a in a kinky way or through fetishism, and just maybe you Leave can start grounding. Yeah, use the grounding techniques, like with the grounding techniques, because again, you know, it's so rooted in anxiety Mm -hmm. and grounding techniques is all about engaging in your senses. And the more that you engage in those senses, your brain can't think of like, can't have the thought process and then process your senses at the same time well, you know, so use that to your advantage. Whenever you are thinking of the, the pantyhose, like what, like, what is it? Oh, I love the sheer. I love the smell. Like the more that you describe what it is, the more you lose yourself into that pantyhose, then you're really losing yourself into what it is that you're attracted to to begin with. And the focus will be that object. It won't be whatever thought you're having around. It'll be like the the sheerness of it, the how it feels on your leg or how it feels around your neck or how it feels stuffed in your mouth, that which is what you are probably excited by anyway. <laughs> And so it's really give yourself permission to embrace that fetish. And maybe if you Mm -hmm. want to, you can separate it from that person who in your life, the stepmother. And I I guess Mm -hmm. probably it's good to practice on your own, right? Like during self-pleasure, like when you're touching yourself, you can, as you said, grounding techniques might be holding the pantyhose in one hand, using your other hand to touch yourself and just feeling, tuning into the sensation of that I don't even know what pantyhose are made of. Silk? I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's be rich and make it full of silk, made of silk. I love it. And what does it feel like between your fingertips, right? What is that texture? Uh, I really I really like that. So feel good about, like, it's okay. You're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. Enjoy what part of it you want to enjoy, which it sounds like it's the pantyhose. And maybe you can let go of the part that is more distressful for you, the attraction to the to your stepmother or feeling like you're always dreaming about her. Exactly. And then I would definitely recommend if if you are up for it, a therapist or like a sex coach or sex therapist or something like that, because you need to let those thoughts out. The more that they're trapped in your head, they're just running wild. They're just growing. So you need to like open, crack that open, let all those thoughts out and just kind of purge them out of your system. So it'll be really helpful to get them out and really process them and make sense out of them and also learn some other techniques that can help you. Great. Okay. One last quick one. So I receive emails all the time from men asking if I will indulge in small penis humiliation. So Mm -hmm. that's not what I do for a living, but there are people who can oblige. So could you tell us a little bit about what you know about small penis humiliation and where can they begin? Because it's not with me. (laughs) (laughs) Small penis humiliation. I God, I think that's one of the most fascinating, like kinks. I had um, a dominatrix who specializes in small penis humiliation. She's actually in Canada. Um, chastity queen. She also specializes in chastity, obviously. (laughs) But uh, she's like a professional small penis humiliatrix. And she is so good at it. Like on her Twitter feed, I... 
she's always posting like the penis and with the caption of like, oh, look at this little useless clitty and maybe like put like a little chapstick, you know, to make fun of it. And I'm just laughing so hard. I want to like, like the mob, but I'm like, oh my God, if someone goes to my likes, this is going to be tons of pictures of little dicks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I the urge to do it but it's one of those things that it depends right because some people are into small penis humiliation and they have a, a small or maybe a little smaller than average penis and with that it might go back to that whole like you know eroticizing fear eroticizing pain so something that used to hurt you something that used to like cause you a lot of pain and sadness and sorrow is now suddenly something that's exciting and you kind of take that control back you take that power back and now it's something that's like really really exciting for you and pleasurable right the one that's always even more fascinating to me is people with like a large penis who are into small penis humiliation and that that's they're definitely they're well, chastity queen had this one person that she was uh that we were talking to and he had like he had a big one it was huge <laughs> and but he still loved like having it humiliated and degraded and be like oh my god that's so tiny that's so tiny and he would be like I don't know what it is that I don't know why I like it I just like like the the humiliation you know so like with everything right like kinks and fetishes are not like one panning fits all so it just depends but I think for the most part with small something like small penis humiliation it might have something to do with eroticizing and sort of like fear or pain Mm -hmm. kind of getting around that and then making it fun and having fun with it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. penis size, we were way too into penis size. Like all penises yeah. are fabulous. All it, penises it, matter. It, they're amazing. <laughs> and if you want to humiliate your penis or focus on the small or the large, that's fine. But also know that like there's just too much pressure. And I think there's so much making fun of penises and sort of instead of appreciating and, you know, more some people are into penis idolization. But I do think if you have a really big penis and you've been perhaps reduced to your penis as mm. what makes you a good lover or a good partner or hot and I think about how that ties into identity whether it be race or sexual orientation and how harmful that can be to be reduced to that I could see how subverting that might be fun and pleasurable and highly erotic and powerful right to take that back Mm -hmm. so whether you have a small penis or a big penis or an average penis I think that there's power in in subverting the script, right? If you've been made to feel yeah. badly about your penis. And I think so many people do feel badly about that, their penis, whether they're small, medium, large, or you know, right, all, yeah. all the other sizes on, on either side. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, really interesting. And so the name of that dominatrix for folks who are looking for small penis humiliation is... A chastity queen. Chastity, chastity queen. queen. Okay, I mm-hmm. will add that to the show notes as well. Yeah, and for all you like out there who's partner has maybe shared uh, their interest in small penis humiliation and you just can't wrap your head around it I will say this like just try to have fun with it you know it's supposed to be a fun experience when you're like quote unquote making fun of it you know it's consensual so it goes against what you've probably been taught your whole life right of like never make your partner feel insecure especially about their genitals and now there's someone saying like go ahead, you know, make fun of it. Look, it's so tiny. It's so useless. And you're just like, no, I don't want to cause you pain. But just wrap your mind around the fact that you're not causing pain. You're causing pleasure. And the real pain that you're causing is by not making fun of that small penis. You know? Right, right. Absolutely. Do them a favor and make fun of that little penis. If they ask you to. If they ask you to. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> if they're into it. I love this conversation. I'm excited to check out your book, Naughty Licious, and send people 
to you to listen to your sex podcast as well. Same name, Naughty Licious. Thank you so much for being with us, Kylie. Thank you guys. I always have so much fun with you. <laughs> I love this conversation. And before we go, I just want to mention because we recently got off the Desire Cruise. We I was going to say got off on the Desire Cruise. We got off the Desire Cruise <laughs> and there's another Desire Cruise coming up and everybody's asking about these couples only clothing optional cruises. So the next one is the Desire Greek Islands Cruise coming up August 26th of this year. It starts in Athens and then goes to some really cool stops. Volos, the Saloniki, Kavala, Usadasi, which is actually in Turkey and it's my favorite stop because you can go to Ephesus and see the archaeological ruins which honestly are mind-blowing and just the food the culture the people in Turkey I love it then you head to Mykonos and disembark in Athens so if anyone is interested desires running promo right now there's a free hundred dollar onboard credit for their club veranda state rooms and just the cruises it's really beautiful it's on the Azamara and it includes, you know, premium beverages. There's five different gourmet dining facilities. Gratuities are included. It's 24-hour room service. They've got theme pool parties, sensual theme nights. And, of course, I will be teaching some really fun and sexy workshops on board as well. <laughs> so I will – it's kind of hard to find their website because it's desire.experience.com. So I will link that in my Instagram and in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more about the Desire Cruise, let me know. And if you have any questions – uh, you can shoot them my way as well. Thanks again for chatting and thanks, babe. Thank you. Bye. Bye, folks, wherever you're at. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. <laughs>